The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. Hi, I'm Sarah, the CEO and founder of Miss Tyler. Today we talk about building Miss Tyler, building apps, and marketing. So if you have an idea for an app and you don't know how to get started, listen to this episode and get some tips and tricks and, and give it a go. Welcome to Startup Secret Show. Uh, my very special guest today is Sarah Neal, and we're going to talk about the messy stuff, stuff to do with startups. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Cool. So... Um, we're going to talk about fashion today, which I have no clue about. <laughs> Guys never have much the idea about fashion, <laughs> so obviously you know, that's why I ask the girlfriends and wives to take them shopping, right? So um, we're going to talk about an app you did, and we're going to talk about how you got there. So um, give us a little bit of background in terms of how you sort of got into this, I guess, in the first place. Like, why an app? Why? Uh, and it's called Miss Tyler, right? So it's, it's Miss Tyler. So uh, yeah, so back in two thousand and. 14, I was living in New York mm -hmm. and New York really is like one of the fashion capitals of the world. And it's a fun place because you can wear anything anywhere. I think in Australia, people sort of tend to wear sort of similar things. And when you're going to a certain place, you know what's appropriate in New York, you can turn up to a party wearing a cocktail dress or sweatpants mm -hmm. um, because you're often doing three things in a night and people just assume you're going somewhere where that's appropriate. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a place where you can really just have fun and experiment. Um, so it was fun for me to, to have a bit of a play with fashion, but, I'm, I'm, but as I said, like I'm not necessarily fashionable. I find it really hard to go shopping and, and find things to pick up. Um, and so I used to go shopping with my friends who are super fashionable um, but they weren't very good at picking things for me either because they'd perfected the art of shopping for their own height and their own size. And they looked different to me. So back then I used to just wish that I could find somebody who was the same height and size as me that was more fashionable, that could do all the work of like discovery and trying things on and finding what fits and just copy them. Right. And at, at this time, you know, sort of fashion shopping had shifted from, you know, going into a store to e-commerce to social. And so people started looking at Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest for fashion inspiration because that's when you could actually see what clothes look like on somebody who was a real person wearing it in real life. And you could see how they styled it and, and how it looked in context. But it was really hard to go onto social and find people that look like you because even if they look like you, you don't know their height and they could be five inches shorter and mm. completely irrelevant. Mm. So Back in 2014, I was thinking, why can't I just go onto Instagram and find people that are my height and my size and copy them? And that is the idea for Ms. Tyler. So really, I don't come from a background in fashion. I'm not fashionable. Um, but I think sometimes the best ideas come from outside of the industry because mm. people in the industry almost forget that there's some people who aren't great at shopping, you know? That, so yeah. it's kind of an outsider point of view. Um, but I would say that, 
So my background is in marketing and then startups. So I've gone through the process of starting up businesses, of running mobile apps, of building products and marketing products. So I had all that background and then I had all of a sudden this this problem, my own problem, mm. and I had this idea for a solution. Mm. Um, so back in 2014, I registered the domain, Ms. Tyler. <laughs> this is when I came up with the idea. And Ms. Tyler is the letters are my Styler. Gotcha. But then I've moved the S across to make gotcha. it Miss Tyler. So it sounds like a, a woman's oh. name. Yep, makes um, sense. Yeah, but it's also a bit more mysterious, it's undefined. Mm. It's not a married Misses mm. or a single Miss. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was the idea. And that was a that, backstory. <laughs> yeah, that was the backstory. But mm. at the time, because I was in the US, I needed a visa to stay in the country. And it's really hard to have a visa as an entrepreneur. So I kind of delayed working on this. Um, and just kept working in a full-time corporate role that gave me a visa. Mm. And I did, in the back of my mind, keep thinking about how this could work and like validating the idea informally with friends, chatting about it. And it, I always had a lot of ideas, but this was the idea that my friends kept coming back to me and saying, like, when are you going to build this Ms. Tyler? Like, this is the one that we really want. So at the end of 2019, um, just before COVID, I moved back to Australia to start building Ms. Tyler. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's probably good timing in some respects because at least in Australia you had probably a better opportunity to kind of get around than the US when it was a bit of a mess. And the oh, absolutely. And New just York. Yeah. my family's all here. So so coming back, I mean, I think I would have really, New York was, I mean, obviously just like really hard hit, especially mm. in the early days of COVID. It was, it was a really scary place to be. Mm. Um, and so being back here was amazing because obviously Sydney has done so well through COVID yeah. and just being close to my family and friends mm. um, was amazing. And then I think also when you're starting a business, being around, you know, family yeah. um, and, and people like that, it, it's it's very helpful to have that support network. Because they don't necessarily understand what you, you do or what you're up to. And sometimes they don't even get it at any point, but at least they're usually supportive. They're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, if you're going to have a complaint, you complain about something, but I have no clue about what you're talking about. But at least they can go, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and not yeah, and, yeah. And you also know that, hey, if this doesn't work out and, you know, I'm broke, I can move back in with my parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> so they've got a vested interest in making sure that that doesn't happen, right? Because <laughs> they're probably right, right. the spare room. <laughs> Yeah. So um, the app itself, so it's designed, and you know, I think we had this, this conversation before where um, you don't actually have a website per se. You know, when they go to the website, that's sort of directed to download the app. So how did you go about you know, getting enough funding for the app and doing that? So I mean, a lot of people have app ideas and, and over the years I've had these people contact me when we used to do mobile apps and they'd send you an NDA, which is, is death to me to an, for any sort of deal. I reckon in my experience, every single NDA I've ever had, the deal never went ahead. Yeah. Look, I, I, on, the, on the NDA front, I completely agree. I think, you know, even when you have an idea that you think is like so unique and so special and so, you know, valuable mm. there's probably thousands of other people that have that same idea exactly. the difference is execution yeah and so, laziness. people are lazy they're not going to even though they steal your idea they're not going to do a good job of it <laughs> yeah and even if even if they're not lazy i mean it's just it's really hard to execute mm. and so i i really i mean i i always just share my ideas and you know if somebody went out and built it great like i would love somebody to have built this but they didn't so i'm doing it but <laughs> I, so it. i completely agree with you with your nda i think you're going to what what you, what value you get from sharing the idea and hearing feedback is so much more valuable than the risk of somebody stealing it and successfully executing upon it. 
Exactly. And I think that's my recommendation is anybody who thinks they're going to have this app idea and then start doing something and they don't think the NDA is even going to protect them anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that, that just sets up a bad relationship because it kind of says that I don't really trust you. I want you to sign a piece of paper to say I don't trust you. And then the whole relationship is tough based on the fact that I don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get an NDA and now do I need to get a lawyer to review this? And all of a sudden, like, that's a barrier and then yeah. I don't get around to doing it. And yeah. Yeah. I, Look, I completely agree. Look, um, I had a company in the US called Doodad. It was my first startup and I had that and I shut it down in 2013. Um, And at that point, I I had the idea for my first mobile app, which was a weather app. And it was very simple. I just used to think, I wonder what the temperature was yesterday because it's telling me that it's 13 degrees today and I can't really remember the last time I felt 13 degrees, but <laughs> I remember how I felt yesterday, but I can't remember the temperature. So I'd Google yesterday and be like, oh, yesterday was 15 degrees. So it's a little bit colder than yesterday. And I'd be like, okay, now I know what that means. Mm-hmm. So basically my first app is, was called Weather Then, and right. it was very simple and it showed you today's temperature and yesterday's temperature and it told you if it was warmer than or cooler than. Right, okay. <laughs> very simple. So that was really my first experience of like having an idea and then thinking about how, to, how do I actually turn this into an app. Mm. And so I did that myself. I just bootstrapped it. So I just used my savings. I found, I, I found a development team in the Ukraine mm-hmm. that could build this for me. So I gave them a brief. I explained what I wanted to build. I mocked it up in PowerPoint because I didn't have amazing design skills, but I sort of showed how many screens there would be and what they would look like. Then I needed a source of the data for weather. So I found an API source available for free. Um, so I had all that bundled together. I gave it to this Ukrainian team. They gave me a quote. And at the time it was three and a half thousand to build an iPhone app. And it was very simple. Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay, I can afford that at the moment. So we built that app and we launched it a month later. Nice. And so that was my first experience of actually going, okay, this is actually how you can build an app. And I learned a lot through that experience. And Yeah, exactly. I think that that's the biggest mistake people make is they try to make this massively big thing with no yeah. experience in development because everything costs twice as long, twice as much money takes twice as long. Yeah. Things are much more complicated than you think always. Yes. Um, so this was very simple. Like there was no like login, there was no sign up. It was, it was very simple. Um, but what I did do with this app that I think I did well is, you know, even if people enjoy this app, the best, you know, tip for anyone creating anything is how can you make it viral? How can you, make people want to share your app. And so what I did was um, for every day um, I had metaphors. So for instance, it would be today is hotter than your mum's new Tinder boyfriend (laughs) or today is cooler than a hipster complimenting your music taste or it's warmer than a hunting grandma. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you're just kind of giving something, you know, a reason, something unexpected that people Mm. are like, Oh, that's cute. You know, it's, it's colder than a slap in the face today. You know, I'm going to tweet that. And so all of a sudden, so you basically want to give people a reason to share and then you make it easy for them to share. So what we had was we had the metaphors and then we made it very easy that you could just like share to Twitter. And so it would be today is, you know, colder than a slap in the face in New York today. Yeah. Um, or share to Instagram or share to Facebook. So that that is sort of one element that we had just to mean that when people download the app, they can share it and that's how it spreads. And so we never spent any, and I said we, I, <laughs> never spent any money on marketing, mm-hmm. um, but we had 5,000 downloads in the first month 
nice. of that app. So just purely from, you know, sharing it with people and then people thinking that's a little bit fun and then them sharing it with others. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think at the end of the day, if you can't get people to share it in the first place, then you haven't done a good enough job of what you're delivering anyway. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. About it. yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's if Uber never worked, no one would have shared it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's two things. Like, it has to be valuable for me, mm. but that still might mean that there's certain things that I still might not share with other people. So you, you kind of like the ultimate thing is, first of all, it has to be valuable for me. And then second of all, give people a reason to share it and then make it easy for them to share it. Mm-hmm. Frictionless or something. Keep it seamless. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so, really. So the next great. stage, obviously, writing that next app is obviously a much bigger job because obviously, from my understanding, you've used AI and, and, and human-based recommendation stuff. So obviously, that's a much bigger task to take on, right? Yeah, so Miss Tyler is a lot more complicated because Miss Tyler is so with Weather Than we built something. If one person used it, it's valuable because it works. Miss mm-hmm. Tyler isn't valuable unless there's a lot of people also using Miss Tyler. So we have a network effect, which is really powerful once you're building. You know, once you've got traction and you're growing, but yeah. it's really hard to get critical scale at the beginning mm-hmm. to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we did because. To, to launch a marketplace, you either need to have a lot of money yeah. or you need to need to get really creative. And so what we did was because we, well, I take a second to explain Miss Tyler. Miss Tyler allows you, it's actually just for women at the moment. Mm-hmm. When you sign up, you put in your height, you your bra size. <laughs> yeah, well, men, there's so much demand for men. I need to, to get around to building it. But, Mr. you know, Tyler. when you're, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Tyler, Mr. you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. But when you sign up, you put in your height, your bra size, your dress size, your hair color, your skin color, your body shape. Mm-hmm. And then we match you to women who look similar so that when you're looking at clothes, you can see clothes on somebody who looks like you. Gotcha. And that way you get a better idea of how things will fit, what's going to look good, how they've styled it. And then we allow you to buy um, those items direct from brands. So we just like add links and you can just go and buy it from wherever that person found it. Do you want simple and effective ways to get started that don't cost a fortune in time and money? Discover the best steps for each strategy we teach and the most important areas to focus on and even to connect with your best customers and grow an online community. Grab your free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at startupsecrets.show. So for us to have a good experience for one person, there had to be enough people on the app that they could see themselves represented. So we needed to have people of all heights, of all sizes, of all colors, and so on. Um, What we did to start, we, we basically found that you could find all this information about celebrities, so we created a database of 400 fashionable celebrities um, and we pulled in their height and their coloring and their, their measurements. It's all given up freely on IMDb or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing like what you can find if you Google Jennifer Anderson bra size. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so we did that and so we launched um, initially, actually just not before we had an app, we launched this as a web quiz and we promoted it on Facebook and it was, who is your celebrity body double? And then you can do this quiz, put in all your body data, give us your email address, and then you would get your results. Um, and so you could say like, you know, so-and-so is your 78% match. Um, and then we turned that into the first version of the app. So we, we basically found a way to, to, I guess, use a proxy for the market that we could control and we could get quickly to get that initial scale um, to launch. And then once we launched with that, we allowed women to sign up to become contributors. And so once we had a critical scale of contributors, 
Um, then we released those to the app. So we, we basically, we launched the first quiz in March, 2020. We launched the first version of the app in August, 2020. And then in February this year, mm-hmm. we re- released our contributors. Cause we had, I think at that point, 180 contributors. So we had a really good diversity. And then as soon as we launched contributors, all the feedback was get rid of the celebrities. Like we just love seeing the real women and, mm-hmm. you know, we're having to like scroll through and, you know, ignore the celebrities because, because, you know, this is real That's women wearing awesome. clothes that I can see myself wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we removed celebrities. And that's where we are now. Right. Wow. And, I, and it's an interesting thing that you've done there. You you surveyed the database and got information from them, which is a lot of people go, you know, I'm going to write this app and I'm going to think that I know the answer and what they want and then find out six months later that you completely went down the wrong way because the survey said something different, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, you you really don't know what what's successful until you, you give it a go. I mean, you can have assumptions, but you just need to test those assumptions. And even when you, you survey people and you say, hey, I'm going to have this product and it's going to be $20, would you buy it? Mm-hmm. You could have 100% of people say yes, but the minute you launch it, when people actually have to take out their credit card and put in their details, yeah. then all of a sudden you might find that nobody does it. So it's really like customers lie. Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> the behavior. They, they, they tend to be a bit loose with the truth for sure. <laughs> like, well, yeah, they, they might they might think that they they might think that they can buy it, but it's very different when you actually are going and pulling out the cash because all of a sudden just, you think about yeah. all the other priorities. It's interesting because we just did a survey for a, we just a launch for a client where we doubled their membership database. And what we found was we just looking at the results today and we found that we had 30 people come back and say yes, I'll go ahead and 11 went ahead. So even yeah. at that point where they're saying, oh, I've read the email, I know how much it's going to be, I'm going to go ahead, and they reply back, and then 20 of them never actually did it. Well, that's right, because you've got, you've got an intention, and I'm sure all their intentions were that, but yeah. then all of a sudden you have inertia, you kind of have like apathy of, oh, I'll get around to it later. So there might be people that are still intending to do it in the future that just don't get around to it. And there's other people that just like other things come up, and well, now that I actually think about it, I can either spend this money here, which I'd love to do, but at the cost of not spending it somewhere else. And so maybe there's other priorities. And so the other interesting thing in that particular analysis was that some of the customers that went ahead and purchased were been in the database between 300 to 500 days. So yeah. so that's the other thing I think people forget about is that there's a, yeah. there's a timeline. It's not like I'm interested, but not now. Yeah, so what people right. base their business decisions on is what converts in 30 days. It yeah. could take 300 days before they actually do anything. That's right. That's right. Which is why yeah, it takes time with these things. And sometimes people need to, to get to know something better or maybe there's like a trigger point where all of a sudden like it's relevant to me at this point of time because I'm experiencing the pain and so now this is relevant mm-hmm. or something else changes. And I mean, in COVID is a good example of that because people are probably the screen time is more you know possible because they've got nothing else to do. And so they're basically more likely to do stuff that they normally wouldn't have time to do. Um, so you've got that more attention there. And so in some yeah. cases, you know, the events and are changing. Act- mm. on, on that note, one thing that's been really interesting in the world of marketing is that during COVID, marketing dollars have been really cost effective. So getting people's attention and building up a, a pipeline, for instance, has been really cost effective. Getting a sale has been less cost effective. It's been harder to get a sale, but easier to get attention. So if you're in a position where you can afford to delay revenue 
and focus on just attention mm-hmm. and growing awareness and growing your pipeline. Yeah. Now's a really good time to do that because you can capture people's attention, you can get them engaging. And then in the future, when you know things are a bit more stable and certain and people are feeling a bit more comfortable spending, then you're in the perfect position to try and convert those users. Yeah, so take playing the long game a little bit there. And yeah. Because, um, I mean, even on TV advertising, what I noticed was that suddenly there was hardly any ads on TV that all the advertisers pulled their budgets and suddenly you got the same ad over and over again. It's like there's only five ads running. Oh, I don't watch TV much, but when I did watch it, like that's the same five ads over and over again. Everybody else cut their ad cost, ad yeah. spend. So a lot of them just got scared and stopped spending money on any advertising because they thought no one was listening when it was actually the best time to do it. Yeah. So do the opposite. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Whatever those guys do, I reckon. So when you, because um, with app design, obviously there's, and I think people um, don't re- understand this, that when you do app design, the app's not hosted on the app store at the end of the day. The data and all that thing that works is all hosted somewhere else. So you need a back end as well as a front end, right, when you do an app. Mm-hmm. And that's what people forget. And usually the back end costs far more than the front end in terms of that. So Yeah, so when, when, you're, uh, when you're building an app, you have developers and you have front-end developers which are building what you see and what you interact with and then you have your back-end developers which as you say they're building the databases and you know the back-end infrastructure and then you have full-stack developers which basically means they do both Um, and so when you're when you're interacting with an app the way it looks and you know the way that you can input data Mm -hmm. like that's all front-end but for instance if you're creating an account and you add a profile picture that profile picture needs to be hosted somewhere so that next time you come into the app, it's, you know, stored and mm-hmm. able to be served up. So that means that, you know, anything that you input needs to be saved on the back end. If you, for instance, you're in an app, for instance, ours, you match with people who look like you and then you follow certain people who you like and they become part of your feed. So then we need to also store that information. So who are you following? So that whenever you come to the app, we can just search serve up the people that you're interested in mm. so anything that you do on the, in the front end we need to understand what's happening on the back end so mm. that we're tailoring the app for you mm. and i think that's what people don't want anybody new in app design thinks so oh, you just write this front end app and that's it it's all but the reality there's a help probably that's probably like the tip of the iceberg yeah <laughs> the yeah and there's also the i guess on the on the design side there's also um what's called ui ux yeah. so ui stands for user interface which again is sort of what you see and mm. how things look and then UX, which is user experience. And that's like how it works. So for instance, you could have something that looks beautiful, but then all of a sudden you put on an app and you go to tap it. And because it's such a small button, you're actually tapping the whole area and you, you end up tapping the form of something that you didn't mean to tap. And that's really frustrating. And then you can't go backwards because there's no back button. Yeah. That's, that's the experience. So, you know, yeah. something can look perfect, but it needs to be functional. Yeah, just because it looks pretty, it doesn't mean it's going to work, right? Sometimes exactly. the more basic app will work better, and I think that's that's the danger is, that, yeah, then that testing phase, yeah, getting it right as well in terms of customer feedback and, and actually yeah. asking for that because some people think they know the answers, but they don't until the, until the customer gets hold of it. <clears throat> Even our sites we've done for clients, like sometimes what happens is they'll go, we think this is going to work this way, but then someone will break it. You know, they'll they'll find a way around it. To stuff it yeah. up and and you think how do they do that like we in our app we wrote we actually had the scenario of ebook where we could actually could buy an ebook for like five dollars and there's an older generation buying the ebooks and they don't read the screen so what they do is they just kept pressing the buttons and they'd buy 10 ebooks 
Yeah, and I once bought two fridges by accident. Yeah, <laughs> well, I actually got two charges mini log yesterday because it, it said to me, um, you know, it didn't process it properly, so I had to hit the button again, and so it hit twice. But they cleaned it up later. Mm. I saw they cleaned it up, but so obviously they know of that's happened. Yeah, and I think that's the trick. Is like we knew that, so we changed it so I could only add one ebook to the cart, so we prevented yeah. the problem later. But yeah. until someone gets their hands on it and starts breaking it on you, it's almost like. Um, you know, you think you've written this perfect process and then, then reality will kick in and someone will break it. And you think, oh, what? how do they manage to do that? Yeah. <laughs> when, whenever we have e- customers email us and say, I'm so sorry, like it's, it's obviously me, but I just don't understand how to do this. I'm always like, thank you so much. Because if you're saying this, there's going to be hundreds of people yeah. that are doing exactly the same thing as you. So don't feel bad. You're normal. And it's yeah. an issue on our end. We need to be fixing this. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the end of the day. It's trying to figure out. And the reality is, as you say, most people don't say anything. So you've got to try and encourage yeah. as much as you can. But, you know, a very small percentage of people will even complain about something. Cause they and that's also where you need to be looking at the data and going, you need to be looking at the data on the back end and going, why are people ordering two ebooks? Like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Do, we, do, do we, A, think that people actually want to order two ebooks? Or B, do we think this is an error? And yeah. usually you can kind of like use logic to try and figure out. And then if it's an error, you go, okay, well, we need to fix this. Exactly. I mean, we had somebody order 15 books one day, physical books, and, and he over two orders and looked at it and thought, yeah, he's going to ask for a refund. <laughs> like, he didn't mean to do that. Sure enough, one day later, yep, refund. I only went to get one book, but I pressed yeah. the button 15 times. Um, and because if you're buying physical books, then we would allow you to press the button, you know, and, and add yeah. a thing. But, yeah, I mean, people are nuts. They'll do stuff that you'd least expect and yeah. you really need to kind of cater for that and pick that up somehow. And you can have like we had a business where people were buying online um, minutes. It was like a telecommunications product, um, and so we had a bunch of business rules that nobody could have the same. We we would not allow um, a transaction of the exact same amount to happen within five minutes yep. of each other, and so that would just you know because like the use case of that was very low, mm. and so if they did that six minutes later then they would have seen the first one go through and said it's probably genuine. But within five minutes, you know, 99% sure that that was an error. Stuffed it up. Yeah, they didn't pay the attention. They thought they bought it and they didn't. And yeah. They did. <laughs> in that situation. And I think that, yeah, I mean, that kind of business rule is the way to go. Because I think, think at the end of the day, if you take money from someone, even if you refund them, it tends to leave a bad taste in their mouth about it. They remember Well, it's, it's more admin for you. It's like a worse experience for them. So I think the, the ideal scenario is that you just, you don't want to have customer support. Mm. Not because you don't want to provide it, but you just yeah. don't want customers. Because even if it's a good experience for customer support, it's it's still worse than not having any customer support. You mm. just want it to be frictionless. Mm. So whenever you see anything coming through support, whether it's a refund or whatever else, you're just always thinking, how could we remove that by fixing the product or fixing our communication? Yep. Yeah, make it work the other way so you don't have to do it in the first place. So I think they're learning from those mistakes rather than just ignoring them and just doing exactly. <laughs> doing what happens, yeah. And I know that with a doctor client, we did we did a lot of that where people would come back and go, oh, I didn't understand this and this and that. So we continually tweaked it until we got to a point where, okay, now we can see that customer journey, I guess. And that's, I guess, what I talk about a lot in the books I've written is that, you know, you map out the customer journey, figure out how they're going to, where they're going to go, what they're going to do next. So you can be one step ahead of them. And then, and then anything that goes wrong in that process, you will see it straight away. You'll understand yeah. why. And they dropped out. Why did they drop out? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm, makes sense. So, did you write? You said you'd raise money for this particular one, or you had done it yourself? How did you? Yeah, this run? this one we that did raise like a money. Cheap deal, <laughs> this thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Miss Tyler. For Miss Tyler to be successful, like, as I mentioned, you know, it requires 
just huge diversity. It really requires being global. Mm -hmm. The app is much more complicated than weather then. Um, <laughs> we have just closed our funding. And so to date, we've raised a million dollars, which is Great. incredible. Um, it was not easy. No. <laughs> raising, raising money <laughs> is not easy. COVID, everybody's scared of spending money. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, 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 it takes a lot of time to, to raise money. I mean, I've built maybe four apps before this, which I've bootstrapped all of those. Um, I, I think, you know, if you do have an opportunity and you're building something and you can bootstrap it yourself, I think it's good because you just learn so much in the early days. And the leaner you can do it, the, the more forced you are to kind of build things simply and, mm -hmm. and start small, which is always good because you're just going to learn so much stuff and then you can incrementally build. And sometimes the things that you think that you're going to need to build end up changing. Mm -hmm. um, so when you build small, then you can actually get real feedback about what people want mm -hmm. and you can mm -hmm. you can sort of build based on real data. Um, but yeah, this one, we definitely need money. Um, we still are extremely lean, our team. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, but but when you're doing what we're doing, you know, <laughs> building is half of our budget, the engineering, and yeah. then we have a quarter of our budget for marketing and yeah. a quarter of our budget for the rest of the team. And that's a dead, the downside of it. Like, I'm, I'm, I think when I was running a accounting software business, we had 23 staff and my annual payroll was a million dollars. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can burn through money real fast. And I think yeah, being lean and, and being able to understand that in the first place is pretty good. And I think the second part was that I don't think people ever allocate enough money to marketing. They kind of think, yeah. oh, well, we'll do that later. Um, and we'll by the time we'll make some money. But the reality is, is then they've got no money to market. So they're kind of caught in the middle. They can't they can't yeah. market the product. They can't grow the product, can't make the money. And then, and they, and then and the investors are going back and going, what happened? <laughs> That's right. I mean, when you're before you're making money, or before you're profitable, then essentially you can work out your runway, which is the cash in your bank, mm. divided by the amount that you spend on a monthly basis. And so at the moment, we've got a 12 month runway, which basically means that in 12 months, we'll have zero money and we'll have to shut down. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the things that we need to do to extend our runway is start making money mm. or raise more money or reduce our burn rate. And so those Deep. are the three things. We're, we're just constantly focused on with 12 months runway, I don't need to be worried about, you know, extending that runway now. So yeah. I can, for the moment, just be really focused on building the business and, yeah. you know, improving our product and growing our audience. But in six months time, I'm going to have to start thinking about, okay, I need to get ready for the next fundraise. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to be, yeah, you really need to do a big launch. So basically people pay for the app, right? So they, there's a subscription on. No, that. So no, the app is free. Uh, the way that we make money is through affiliate marketing. So basically our contributors, so those are women who post outfits to our app and share with community, um, whatever they're wearing, if it's available to buy, they'll add a link to buy it. So for instance, they could be adding a link to Q or Gorman or wherever. Mm -hmm. um, we then partner with brands so that we get commission if we drive them sales. Okay. So for instance, like if somebody goes and buys a, a, a coat from Q, that might be $100, we might get 10% commission. So we get $10 back from that. We give $8 to the contributor and we keep $2. So that's how we make money. But um, with our type of app, you, you're not necessarily going to like have people buying from day one, because mm -hmm. first of all, you, you have the experience of like, oh, I go on there, I match with people. And then, you know, that person that I've matched with may not be wearing any of the things that I want to wear right now or that I need to buy right now. So over time, it becomes, I go to the app to find people, I start looking at the content and it's it's almost like a magazine that's like customized to my body. 
Nice. Um, and then over time, like the more we have, the more content we have, you then you'll be able to all of a sudden go, okay, well, here's my feed of people who look like me, whose style I like. Now I have to buy a cocktail dress um, and it's winter. So now I can filter cocktail winter, three dresses that are perfect for me, buy one. So, you know, it takes time to get there. And, and um, if you look at Instagram, I think it was uh, in 2004 or in 2002 or something like that, they were acquired for a billion dollars. Mm. And they'd made no revenue. Yeah. And then six years later, dark. they made twenty billion in revenue. So yeah. I mean, it is it is sort of one of those businesses. Like some businesses, you can see the money faster, but some of the businesses, you need to grow the audience and you need to grow the behavior and the habit, and then the money comes. Mm-hmm. So build a database first, essentially build a build a following, and then yeah, a follow. A, a, you've got to build a following, but it's also it's about engagement as well. It's about so you can find the audience, but then you need to keep them engaged keep them coming back, like keep delivering value. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So where's where's the future look for you now, like in the next couple of years? What's the plan here? Are you going to kind of grow it to a point and then and hope someone comes along and hand, hands you a big bunch of money and you give the investors money and you walk away? Or is it something that you... No, I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm not really even thinking that far ahead. You know, we're just trying to build a product that is valuable to women and we really want to change the way women shop. We've already... Um, We've already seen that that women are saying to us that they're more body confident just by being able to see people who look like them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the majority of women in the world of fashion feel like a minority, like the majority. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't look like the people who necessarily are, you know, modeling the clothes. And so it can feel really um, demoralizing for women. And as a result, when people buy online, the vast majority of what we buy don't fit properly. We have to return things. It's just mm-hmm. a completely inefficient process. So. At the moment, we're just focused on like building a product and a solution that works and creating value. Um, we will have to raise again. So early next year, we'll be raising. Hopefully, that will be a Series A and hopefully that will be enough money that we can actually build a proper team and, you know, really like focus on scaling it. By that point, we hope that we have the product working really nicely with high engagement and everything else so that we can just like scale. So it's just a matter of going great. By this point, we know that if we put X dollars in, we get Y output and we can just like amplify that. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we, we are already global. So US is our biggest market, then Australia, then the UK. Um, but we definitely love to like move into, you know, more countries around the world. So, mm-hmm. and you know, one day then who knows, like maybe we IPO, maybe, you know, we get acquired by Facebook. Maybe, you know, we just continue to keep growing it and, and become the, the next Instagram ourselves. Mm-hmm. Some interesting times. I mean, the, the thing is, it's not just clothes that, you know, like, I guess, shoes and, and all sorts of other things come into the play as well. It's almost like you become the Amazon shopping store, really, in that situation. And like, Yeah, exactly. We're just like Amazon the, would be worried about you at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, all complimentary. I mean, at the moment, so, you know, we are essentially a, a lead generator for anyone mm. who sells clothes because we don't sell clothes directly, but Amazon does. Mm. So we could be a lead generator into Amazon. Yes. to help them sell stuff, except that customers coming through us will be less likely to return, mm. hopefully, mm. which means that, you know, we actually become like a really valuable lead generator to anyone who sells things as opposed to a competitor. And and possibly in, in a situation like Amazon or some of those stores that are doing online, it's the first time they've got a customer. So the customer acquisition cost to get an online customer is pretty hard, pretty expensive generally. Yeah, exactly. So we're doing that for them. So we're finding mm. the customers. Um, and so that's, that's why affiliate marketing works because they know what it costs to acquire a customer. 
So rather than paying that money to marketing, they're paying that money to a guaranteed sale in terms of commission. Exactly. They can set the commission rate at or below whatever their normal CAC customer acquisition cost is. And so it's just like a no-brainer affiliate marketing. It's like, I will only pay you if you give me a sale versus marketing often is I'm going to spend this money and I don't know whether it's going to result in a sale or not. And it's interesting, like the most of the successful apps now have been connecting apps. Like you look at Uber connecting people want to, you know, in a taxi industry that was pretty broken or, or Airbnb. So what you're doing is you're being the, the middleman there. You're the connector between the two. And, and that's a really good idea. And I think that's the, but you've got two ends of the market then. You're putting two people together and, the, and they need you then because that's the biggest trick in, mark, in any business is if they don't need you, if they can cut you out, they will. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I mean, we, we as, as I said, like, you know, we're not the fashion authority. We're not telling anyone what they should wear or what's going to suit them. We're just connecting people that can help each other. Mm. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. So that's really cool. Um, so... To download the app, you just search, um, search Miss Tyler. Is there a Is website there a that they can go to as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't search, so don't search, search Miss Sarah. <laughs> yeah. So, no. So, if, you, yeah, if you're a woman, um, just head to – it's on Google Play and the App Store and yeah. search for Miss Tyler, which is M-Y-S, yep. Ms. Space Tyler, P-Y-L-E-R. I that was a typo when I first read it, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, you can remember it as My Styler, but yeah. Yeah, it it's Miss Tyler. Yeah. And then – yeah, and then if you're not a woman, please share it with all the women you know, um, and hopefully they'll have a really great experience and enjoy it. Um, with the caveat that we are young and we're developing, and so it's not perfect yet, yeah. um, and it's not as good as it's going to be even in a week's time, in two weeks' time, in a month's mm-hmm. time. But you know, get in early and like watch us grow. Yeah, no, it's an interesting story, and I think it's going to be really cool when I probably see it in a year or so's time. It'll probably be completely different, and, and yeah, absolutely, and of, of um, online maybe. <laughs> That's the way to go. That's really cool. So thanks so much for your time and really interesting and really inspirational that you, you sort of managed to do this through through you know, a bad time. And I think that's that's what people got to remember is that this is a great opportunity to, for people to kind of re-pivot and change their way they do business or come up with great ideas that they probably wouldn't have had time to before. So really appreciate you coming on and um, I hope to talk to you again soon, maybe in a couple of years' time when you, you, you're really big. Absolutely. I love that. Cool. No worries. Thanks a lot. That's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for Nippernors. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful